There's been over 500 baptisms just on the sidewalk where George Floyd was, was killed. Uh, and there have been uh, prayer meetings there and there have been evening worship meetings and there's hundreds and thousands of people in the black and white, and Asian, and Hispanic, Native American. It's, it's just been quite remarkable. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. The goal, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. And now, your hosts, Bill Eliff and Kyle Reno. Well, welcome to the One Cry Podcast. Uh, we're so excited that you're here. I'm Bill Eliff, and my co-host is Kyle Reno. And uh, Kyle, we've been having a great time in this podcast, and the goal of this podcast is really to be one more voice right. to accelerate the work of revival and spiritual awakening in our nation. And we're doing that through sharing revival truth, but also uh, reporting on revival stories that mm -hmm. have happened across the nation. And it's been exciting to see already a fresh understanding of where revival begins. Right. And it's happening. To hear those stories of mm -hmm. little fires that are popping up across the nation. But it always has the same base, the same foundation. Mm -hmm. And I know the Lord has taught you so much about this bill and what what it looks like specifically around prayer mm -hmm. you know to take some of the mystery out of that and to know mm -hmm. what does it look like to be a praying man mm -hmm. or woman so take a few minutes and share that with us you know it was aj gordon who said that you can do more than pray after you've prayed and you should but you can do nothing but pray until you've prayed when you look across the landscape and the history of revival and spiritual awakening there is one constant and that is that God led people to such desperation that they began to cry out, and they united in one cry. Uh, the story of revival is the story of desperate prayer. One of the great illustrations of that is Nehemiah and then also Daniel. I mean, these prayers that they prayed in Nehemiah 1 and Daniel 9 are almost identical and you see it's a God-initiated prayer. So we can learn from this passage, and I want you to particularly focus with me on Daniel chapter 9. Even if you're sitting there and have a Bible, you could open it up to Daniel 9. And for just a moment, I want you to look at these seven components uh, of his prayer, because this ought to be almost like the Lord's Prayer that Christ gave us in Matthew 6. This can be a great template uh, for revival praying. Notice, first of all, that uh, he acknowledged and praised God. That's where he began. I think when you enter into the presence of God, uh, you don't walk in and just give him a grocery list and then walk out the door. If you really take time to walk into your closet and shut the door, like Jesus said, and look at your father, the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth is praise. And Daniel says in verse 4, Oh, Lord, you are the great and the awesome God. Now, just think about that. There's no one like him. The truth of the matter is, everything in your life changes when you get a proper view of God. And that takes time. That takes quieting your soul before the Lord and looking at him and paying attention to him and giving him your undivided devotion in that moment. The second thing he prayed was that he appealed to God's covenant 
and his promises. He says in verse four, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, Daniel is, is praising God in that, but he's also reminding God and reminding himself, Lord, you've made some promises, and I'm coming in prayer to remind you of those promises, and uh, I know you'll be faithful to answer them. Do you know in the Bible there are 7,000 promises? My Bible right here has 1,000 pages. So on average, that's seven promises per page. Just think about this. This is God's operating system with man. This is how he functions. God says, I will do this if you will do this. And he always holds true. He's always faithful. He is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And so one of the things that is good for us in our praying is to pray the Bible, pray the promises. Lord, you said, if we will humble ourselves and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you would hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. That's a promise. And so we come to God appealing on the basis of his promises. And then as we're praying for revival, uh, something that's so natural, thirdly, is he confessed his sin and the people's sin. And look what it says in verse 5. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed. To confess means to say the same thing as, to see your sin like God sees your sin, to own up to it, to be honest, to not cover or hide your sin. I pray to the Lord my God and confessed, we have sinned, he says in verse 5, we have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Now, if there's one thing that we need to be doing right now, it's confessing and repenting to see our sins so deeply that we gladly turn in the other direction and, and walk towards God. I think it'd be an incredible thing uh, for us in prayer to just spend some time making a sin list, just confessing every known sin to God. You know, it was Evan Roberts during the Welsh Revival that had the four points that he preached all over Wales, and the revival came, and 100,000 people came to Christ in that little principality in nine months. The first of those four points is to confess all known sin, and the second is to lay aside all doubtful habits. Are you confessing your sin? And then it's important to confess the sin of our nation. God hears our confession on behalf of our nation, our corporate confession. And so in your praying, include that. Ask God for his forgiveness and cleansing from the sins of our nation and the sins of our own life. Then number four, and this is so important, he acknowledged that God was righteous in all of his ways and all of his judgments. Look what he says in verse 7. Righteousness belongs to you, O God, but to us open shame. You have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Now, what you don't hear much about uh, in these days is any teaching or preaching on the judgment of God. 
And the judgment of God is one of the most wonderfully important parts of God's nature and character. He has pure eyes and a behold iniquity. Uh, he can't stand sin because it's destroying his creation. And he loves us with such an impeccable love, such a pure love, that when he sees his children uh, going in ways that are going to just destroy their lives, uh, it grieves his heart. And he brings pressure to bear uh, to cause us to get desperate and to turn from our sin. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's a righteous thing. That's a right thing for God to do. And in our prayer, it's good to say, Lord, thank you for the pressure that you're sending in my life, in our nation, to bring me back to you. Number five, he asked God, though, to relent in his discipline, reminding him that the people he's judging are his very own. Look what it says in verse 16. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. In other words, what he's saying is, Lord, we've sinned. Lord, you're judging, and that's righteous. But God, uh, bring us back to yourself and relent and restore us. He's really praying for restoration to the city. We could pray for restoration for our city, restoration for our nation, back to be the nation that we should be and the city and the church and the family and the person that we should be. And then number six, he prayed for deliverance for God's sake. Look in verse 17, for your sake, O Lord, not our sake, but for your sake and your glory, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O God, Incline your ear and your and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For your own sake, oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Now, this is a beautiful and important truth in our praying for revival. When you get on the grounds where you are asking something only for God's glory, you're on good praying ground. You know, so many times we're saying, Lord, uh, withhold your hand uh, of discipline so that I can feel better, so that my life can go back to normal, so that I can keep sinning and not have any repercussions. Uh, but that kind of praying gets no place with God. But when we come to the place where our, our mind and heart and prayers are so in sync with God that we can say, Lord, we're asking you to restore us and to deliver us. You're a great Savior, so deliver us so all the world will know what a great God you are, what an incredible Savior you are. And the reason we want to see revival and spiritual awakening is so that the lost would be saved ultimately and worship God that created them. So that's the ultimate purpose, and that's the motivation for our praying. And finally, in our praying, this is important, in verse 18, he prayed not on the basis of his own merit, but on the basis of God's character. He says this, we are not, verse 18, presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. 
one of my dear friends was a great preacher named Ron Dunn. He's he's uh, passed away several years ago. But Ron Dunn said one evening he came to pray at the end of the day, and and he just didn't feel like praying. He'd had a horrible day. Uh, he missed his quiet time with the Lord, and things had gone wrong all day. And he came, and he, he just said, Lord, I just don't think I can pray. And the Spirit of God just started speaking to his heart like God does with us. And he said, Ron, if you'd gotten up this morning and had two hours with me, and then you'd had gospel conversations and led people to Christ today, would you feel like praying? And Ron said, oh, Lord, I'd really feel like praying. He said, Ron, you're praying in your name. You're coming to me on the basis of what you have done or what you have accomplished. And no one can come based on their own merits. We don't have any right to come into his presence except through Jesus Christ. And I love what Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, that we have gained an introduction into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. We come because of his merits and what he's done. And so when we pray for revival, uh, we need to pray with this kind of biblical pattern. Uh, We should take this same approach with our great God as we cry out to him for our lives, for our families, for our churches, for our nation. We, We need to get better at knowing how to pray. And Kyle, I think the, the purpose of this being in Scripture mm-hmm. is to just give us a model. Mm-hmm. When when you're in a desperate situation, mm-hmm. here's how you pray. Mm. Yeah, there's so much to learn. I mean, I was listening to you as you're sharing that. He prayed for deliverance for God's sake, like I, mm-hmm. I know, for His name. Like you, mm-hmm. what you can't come on any better ground right. <laughs> than that. Than Lord, right. for Your own glory's sake. For your own mm-hmm. glory's sake, would you do this? And I know you have a buddy, uh, Bob Bakke, that's really knows this and understands this and has been used by God in powerful ways. And you got to catch up with him recently and interview him mm-hmm. about these things. So let's take a few moments and listen to Bob explain that even more. Well, I am so thrilled today to have the chance uh, to interview my dear, dear friend, Bob Bakke, and and uh, I love Bob so much, and he is such a treasure, in my opinion, to the kingdom of God and the cause of revival and spiritual awakening. And Bob is uh, a pastor at Hillside Church in the Minneapolis area, great church there, and great movements of God happening really in the Minneapolis area. And uh, formerly, he was the prayer and spiritual awakening leader for the EV Free Church of America. Uh, and worked in concerts of prayer, and and also was one of the prime initiators in the Global Day of Prayer, which um, has had millions and millions of people involved all around the world, and we could talk about that all day. But Bob, uh, welcome, and uh, Bob is on our One Cry team, and, um, and we're just so thrilled to have you here because I don't think... Uh, any, anybody is a greater authority on the topic of the role of prayer in spiritual awakening. Uh, Bob, just uh, you wrote a book on this. <laughs> you wrote two books on this and Extraordinary Prayer and Concerts of Prayer that can both be, uh, you can get those on Amazon still, I believe. And uh, so, Bob, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Uh, you certainly are one of my favorite people, too. It's- 
uh, just love being with you. Well, talk to us. Uh, I'm just going to throw the broadest question possible out there. Uh, just talk to us about the role of prayer in spiritual awakening. I mean, is it is it possible to have revival and awakening without prayer? And if not, uh, how has it how has that played out across the years? Well, if you start with the most basic concept, um, you're really talking about John 15, where Jesus is saying that we can't produce fruit without him, that we have to abide in him, and we have to we have to do so as a as a branch would abide in a vine. And so on the most basic level, it doesn't matter who we are or what we're about, whether it's missions or or just acting in a Christ-like manner. Uh, we need we need prayer because it's essentially being well it's like our mobile devices right we want to be online we want to be uploading um, our what what is on our hearts but we want the download from from heaven the authority the power the wonder of, of christ the christ likeness his character and so in the most basic terms uh, we need god we just need god to do what god only only god can do when you're talking about revival and spiritual awakening, uh, it, it is a particular category of, of concern. And of course, with what, what's going on around the country today and what's going around the world, it's a category of concern that is high on the priority list of many of us and many more people than just a few years ago. And if, if you look back, uh, over thousands of years, you can see the relationship. It is a patterned relationship between uh, when God's people come together in prayer and seek him, whether it's a cry out to him in the, in the case of the judges, whether it's the united prayers of, of, of the Jews in the days of Esther or Daniel, when Daniel needed a revelation from God that he couldn't interpret a dream by himself, um, but he wanted his compatriots to, to pray with him and to fast with them. But, you know, Samuel at Mizpah, and then Pentecost, uh, right? It's the, the, the prime example of, of the relationship between united prayer and revival and spiritual awakening. It changed an entire city, it changed the course of history. And it was that 10 days of, of united prayer leading up to Pentecost. And then on Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, which produced even more prayer. They were in each other's homes. They were, they were fellowshipping together. They were devoted to the prayers and the daily prayers of the saints. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They filled the streets with awe and wonder. So this relationship goes back and really speaks to, to a the theology of the church that God wants us together, and he wants, um, wants us speaking with one voice. And if I could just throw in one more, where Jesus spoke with regard to Matthew 18 uh, about the, the union of, of just two or three. And there's something, there's something there that in agreement, when the minds of, of believers become one, in, in Acts chapter 1 uh, and 2, uh, Luke uses the term homothumadon, becoming of one mind, of one accord. And there's something miraculous in that. There's something that, that God blesses. There's something in the church and the oneness of the body for which he prayed in John 17. There's just something in there 
that speaks to the power of God unleashed in the body of Christ when we are, in fact, of one mind and seeking him with one voice. You know, uh, it's it's uh, when when you see all that in scripture and in history, it's just so foolish that we don't pray. Right. Mm -hmm. And this makes no sense. But we have long seasons where the church kind of goes to sleep uh, in this and then and then things get desperate. I mean, that pattern that we've seen over and over again in scripture. And it seems that it takes moments of desperation to have the kind of united prayer that precedes awakening. Is that accurate? Absolutely, it's accurate. And you can trace it back. There are hundreds and hundreds of stories of this, both, both within the West and also uh, elsewhere, Korea, uh, Indonesia. One, one of my favorite stories comes out of a place called Cambuslang, Scotland, where a guy by the name of William McCullough uh, became the pastor of this parish, and it was it was a very sick parish. In fact, um, the the presbytery had examined the church. The presbytery of Glasgow had examined the church uh, shortly after this William McCullough came uh, became the pastor, and they determined that there wasn't a single male in the church that was worthy of being a presbyter. There wasn't an elder there, and the uh, very few people attended. And yet it was that church uh, in, this, in this very obscure place, a modest church and a very modestly gifted pastor. Uh, McCullough was described as an able scholar, but he was also described as the ale minister, ale, beer, right? Uh, and it wasn't that he drank it. It was because when he got up to preach, the men of the parish would sneak out and head to the pubs. They just didn't, didn't want to hear him preach. And yet it was he who first developed this notion of concerts of prayer. And the, the old English concert is, to, is, again, to pray in agreement. And he fashioned his church in such a way that they would not only pray together in these small groups, the, what they called prayer societies that met every fortnight. So every two weeks, they would, pray, they would get, gather in people's homes to read the scriptures and to pray together, asking God for a new, fresh work in, this, in the city and in their, in, their, in their parish. And it was an answer to prayer then that God poured out his spirit. And a guy by the name of George Whitfield was, was, was key to that. And Whitfield came to preach at a thing called the, the sacrament, which was an outdoor, uh, outdoor communion service. And 30,000 people showed up, and it was the largest in-gathering of communicants into the, into the Scottish church, in the history of the Scottish church. It, um, you know, there was only 2,000 people in the entire county. And so they came, and it was an amazing revival, and it spread. And then the invitations to this concert of prayer went, went global. Wherever the church was, this invitation went. And so that... From, for those people who are listening to us who are familiar with Conscience of Prayer, that's, that's where it started, even as a name uh, and as an organized phenomenon. And yet it goes back uh, you know, to the beginning of, of, people's, of uh, God's people, the, the Israelites. And I know in your, in your book, you describe that uh, McCullough and Edwards were uh, pen, pal, pen pals. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They were writing to uh, to each other, and so Edwards was deeply influenced by this. That's wasn't right. he? 
which led to the first Great Awakening in some ways. Is that accurate? Yeah. In fact, it was after the the first Great Awakening had come and gone. That, well, it was the tail end of it uh, that McCullough started writing to Edwards. He heard, he read about his surprising work right in in Northampton, and he wanted to he wanted to be fed by this. And he, so they were they became pen pals and writing back and forth to each other. And when this happened in Ed, in uh, McCullough's church in Scotland, then of course Edwards heard about it. Uh, they were writing to each other, and an invitation was sent then from not only McCullough, but a group of pastors in McCullough's area into this plan, this, this uh, design for, for continued prayer. And uh, as soon as Edwards read it, he, you know, I don't know if he did literal, literal backflips, but it was, it, it, it perfectly comported with with his uh, longings to see united prayer and he committed himself then for the balance of his ministry to promote it um, and it was after that then it was after receiving this invitation after hearing about these reports in Scotland that he wrote his uh, the, those famous sermons that became the book um, you know about extraordinary prayer the call to extraordinary prayer and for revival and religion and visible union. And, and uh, um, so anyway, he uh, all of that took place around this modest little church that became a world changer. Which, which really shaped uh, not only the first Great Awakening, but the second Great Awakening, didn't it? And, and That's right. Shaped us since, ever since then. Uh, this idea of uh, when the church is in desperate need, uh, we we must unite together uh, for extraordinary prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, uh, Bob, those men believed in rhythms of prayer. Uh, and just before we close here in just a minute, talk to us about that, because um, I know we have uh, sought to promote that even now, these, these rhythms of prayer. Yeah, the concert of prayer was not only an agreement uh, about what to pray for, that we're in agreement that God should pour out his spirit to revive his church, but when to pray for it and for how long to pray for it. it. The first uh, concert of prayer was a two-year experiment that they would would pray once a week, uh, normally on Saturday nights, either by themselves or in in small groups for the outpouring of God's spirit on the preaching of the word the next that Sabbath, the next Sunday. So many of these pastors got up in their pulpits on Sunday morning, knowing that people throughout their churches had prayed that God would pour out his spirit upon them that morning. And what a, what a delight that would be. I, I think it's, a, it's the most gloriously selfish concern of any preacher in America or any part of the world that he would have his people pray that God would pour out his spirit upon them. So that was one. That was once a week. And then they added um, another. They would add a monthly prayer meeting where they would gather together as a church, and they would pray specifically for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Two very broad and general terms, but people understood that they wanted the, the body of Christ, who may, may be orthodox, but dead in the spirit, 
uh, or they may be wandering from the truth. Either way, that it would be revived uh, as God would want them. But then the spiritual awakening of the lost and those people who did not know Christ in distant nations and distant lands, both of them were concerns. So once a week and once a month, then they would add a third element, once a quarter, like-minded churches would gather together and rotate from church to church and pray on a quarterly basis on the seasons of the year that they wrote. And they would, they would uh, pray for revival and spiritual awakening and spend a day together doing that. And now you might say, well, do we have any examples of churches doing that? Well, I have at least one. I was vacationing in uh, in New England uh, one summer, and I came upon uh, the sermons, the, the annual sermons to a, a fast day. And I, I found four churches in Cape Ann, uh, Massachusetts, who prayed this way for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Uh, once uh, and every quarter, they would be in, be in each other's churches and they would pray. And, and during the hundred years that they prayed, they remained evangelical, they remained missionary sending, uh, and they remained, and, and every six or seven years or so, they testified to a season of refreshing that would come upon uh, uh, Cape Ann. And it was interesting that in during the Civil War, this, this hundred year experiment in concerted prayer uh, ceased. And that by the mid-1870s, all four churches were universalist Unitarian. So as soon as they stopped praying, wow. uh, they essentially died as, as uh, evangelical witnesses. And there hasn't been a work uh, comparable in, in Cape Ann since then. So th- these are remarkably powerful illustrations of the power of prayer. Well, and, you know, what's thrilling to me, Bob, and we've talked about this many times, is this is not a rhythm that that we can't do right now. Right. And I know a host of churches uh, just in the last few years that are getting in this rhythm of, of once a week, once a month as a church gathering to cry out, and then once a quarter gathering with other churches in their area. And it could be two churches or a mm-hmm. hundred churches. And then once a year, the National Day of Prayer, right. it, gathering together as a whole nation. And uh, is this bringing you hope that we're on the edge of something as we're returning to this? I certainly hope, I, I would hope so. I hope it brings me hope um, because this is, this is the uh, longing of God. Mm-hmm. This, is, uh, this should be the desires of our hearts that, that the Lord would pour out his grace upon his church and his people. Mm-hmm. And we would accomplish his ends in, this, in our generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, our generation will soon come and go, uh, Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would hate to, you know, pass out of my my time here on earth not having seen the answers to my prayers. But but I am also confident that regardless of whether I live to see it or not, God will accomplish it. Uh, he th- these are not prayers in vain. That's these right. are prayers that will will be stored up and they will be answered in time. You know, Kyle Reno, who's our co-host on this One Cry podcast, uh, said to me recently, he said, Bill, all my life, he's 40, he said, I have been mentored by men who were in the Jesus movement. 
and have the fire of God upon the upon their lives. And he said, what I'm concerned about is where is the next generation of leaders who have experienced a move of God like that? Uh, because it's, we often use the word extraordinary. It's, it's extraordinary, uh, the manifest presence of God. Right. I know we're, we're all praying for that and that it would shape the next generation. Uh, and and just before we close, I, I know there's been an incredible uh, college movement going on there in Minneapolis, which I, you told me one day, they have more college students than any city like in America. Is that an accurate statement? I got like a zillion college students. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them here. I don't know whether there's more per capita than Boston. There's a lot of, a lot of them there too, but there's a whole bunch of them. And and uh, we're seeing a, a a movement among those students, and we're we're, we're certainly grateful. Uh, Nick Hall Pulse has been instrumental in uh, mobilizing that generation. Uh, and while we were uh, praying on the National Day of Prayer, he had I don't know nearly a thousand in the streets of of Minneapolis, and they're prayer walking the streets of Minneapolis on the National Day of Prayer. And we did capture some of the the video from that on our on our national broadcast. I don't know whether uh, everyone caught it or not, but the report that there's been over 500 baptisms just on the sidewalk where where George Floyd was was killed, uh, and there have been uh, prayer meetings there, and there have been uh, evening worship meetings, and there's hundreds and thousands of people on the black and white and Asian and Hispanic and mm. and um, and all and Native American, it's it's just been quite remarkable. And so, in the midst of one kind of fire, another kind of fire is being is being hatched, and um, we trust it. We trust it will burn brightly. We don't get that on the evening news, but uh, you'll hear it on the One Crap podcast. So, uh, well, Bob, thanks so much. It's just uh, incredible to catch up with you and. And this will be the last time we'll have you uh, here to help us understand uh, the ways of God and revival and how we can cooperate with him. So thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bill. Look forward to seeing you soon. And praise God for Bob Bakke and his life and the insights the Lord has given him over so many years of studying and watching God work in these ways. Uh, and, and it just calls us to not just to know, but to desire, like mm-hmm. to see, Lord, do that again and help us to be those kinds of men and women to position yeah. ourselves. And it just makes you realize that th- this is not just something happening right now. Mm-hmm. This is something that's been happening through the ages. Right. And that cycle we've talked about, that we fall away, mm-hmm. God disciplines, and mm-hmm. all the people cry out. Right. And God sends revival. Mm-hmm. And it makes us not only want to cooperate, as we look at history, we see how to cooperate uh, and unite with others. And one of the things I love and Bob often talks about is the rhythms of prayer, mm-hmm. getting into a rhythm where we're praying daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, mm-hmm. and annually. We're going to talk about that in, the, in, mm-hmm. a, in a, uh, one of the broadcasts coming up with Kathy Branzell, mm-hmm. who's the president of the National Day of Prayer, about how... Those rhythms are so important for mm. our nation mm. as we cry out to God in prayer. And as always, we want to spend some time just praying uh, together for revival and awakening. And 
And Kyle, uh, I'll begin us here, but yeah. let's let's pray about our praying. Amen. And uh, as and we want you to join us where you are, not just listening. Uh, you're not a spectator today. Mm-hmm. You're a participant. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege right now to walk into the presence of God. Lord, you said we could come. We come, Lord, because you are a covenant-keeping God. And Lord, you said that if we would believe in your Son, that we would gain entry to the throne of grace where we could find grace to help in time of need. So, Lord, we're here, and we're not here on our own merit. (laughs) We're here because of your Son, Jesus. Thank you so much. And, Lord, in your presence, we want to cry out for deliverance. Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to pray and teach us to pray. And, Father, thank you that we don't have to beg you about this. Lord, revival and awakening is something that you want. Saving people, accelerating your work in our day is something you long for. So, Lord, we come to you praying on your merits, not ours, and praying with your passion, Lord, something that is deep in your heart. And we just ask, Lord, do it again. Just do it again. What you've done in the past of correcting a nation and saving millions of people, uh, Lord, would you just do that again right now? And Lord, we would pray for your glory that you would do it in our nation and that our nation would continue to be a great sending station for the world uh, till all the world knows you. Yeah, Lord, I agree. And we embrace, Lord, it is so hard to say this, but we embrace that judgment from you is a That's good right. thing. That's right. And that, that it helps us see our sin and we need to, Lord. So I pray for eyes to see mm-hmm. our iniquity, God, to see in our lives and on behalf of a people, a nation. And then, Lord, we would pray like Daniel prayed, uh, Lord, for your namesake, God, mm-hmm. for your namesake, would you redeem, Lord, for your namesake, would you restore, Father mm-hmm. God, for your namesake, would you pour out just your power, God, and set us free, Lord, set us loose, mm-hmm. Lord, from our own sin and for your namesake, God. Mm-hmm. So please do that and do it now, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray for every person that's listening mm-hmm. today, Lord, that you would help us to to, to pray the way that Daniel prayed, mm. to learn from the Bible yes. how to commune with our great God and King. So mm-hmm. I pray that for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, I would encourage all of us to pray about our praying. Yeah, come You on. know, when I go in to lead a prayer meeting, I spend time praying about that prayer meeting mm-hmm. because I want all of us to encounter God right. and God to be glorified. Amen. So the Lord has taught us something today, and and we're so grateful, and thank you for joining us. And uh, we want to, as always, remind you that if you're watching on YouTube, please like or comment or subscribe, and you may be uh, listening just to a podcast uh, audibly. And if you like to do that, you can subscribe on iTunes or any of the platforms that you might use. And then we want to invite you to come to OneCry.com. 
you'll be shocked at how much uh, there is for you there, helping you in a personal revival journey or a church, uh, leading your church to revival, and then Mm -hmm. how to cooperate with God for our nation. Mm -hmm. Our featured resource this week, again, is uh, Prayer with No Intermission, uh, a 40-day devotional guide that will help you uh, walk right into the heart of God. So thanks for joining with us, and we'll see you next time.